Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. John, I think we have a great show lined up for today, as usual, and uh, some very timely information. You know, we're going to start off here, what, talking about how to make money in retirement or yeah, maybe part-time. before retirement? Yeah, some side hustles. We've got 12 of them. We're actually going to give you a bonus one. We're going to do a baker's dozen on here, and it's just some ideas of how to make some additional money. Maybe you're in a situation you need to pay off debt, maybe get ahead for retirement, or even work in, in retirement. So these are some pretty good... Uh, ideas. I mean, some of them are pretty straightforward, but uh, stick around for that if you're looking to earn some additional money. Yeah, and there's a there's so many ways to do this. This is really interesting because you know with the internet age and you know with Uber and all those kind of stuff out there. I mean, there's a lot of ways to make money mm-hmm. nowadays on the side. So uh, I really like this list. That's very important and useful information. Another thing we're going to talk about is six the six big investor mistakes. Um, you know, John, I mean, we talk about investments a lot and there are some mistakes that we see over and over again that investors make when we sit down with them and they've been kind of doing it themselves. And, you know, even when we're doing it, you know, some of these come into play. So these are the things to look for to make sure that you don't fall in one of the classic traps of ruining your investment performance by making one of these mistakes. So we'll jump into that here in just a minute. But we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. You want to introduce ourselves? Oh, yeah, let's do that. That's right. People know us already. Uh, they should know us, Come Bob. on. You're right. We, we probably a... should. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with about 23 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. And we are excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a uh, link to the podcast. Also have some other tools, some calculators uh, sitting out there. Has some forms for you to, to check out. And uh, we have a Facebook page as well as a, um, uh, a Twitter uh, page as well. So we're out in the social media world. We are definitely out there. So you can find us and we'd also like to hear from you. You can email us your questions directly at info at moneymd.net or you can uh, link to us right off our website, moneymd.net. All right. Now, John, we All are right. going to start off with the financial <laughs> fact of the week. I know you're excited about this one. Yeah, I was, man. I just couldn't, couldn't stop couldn't myself. Wait. Now, this is interesting. This comes from the Social Security Administration. And um, see, about 45% of people take their Social Security benefits at the very earliest age possible, and that's age 62. Um, but they only see about 3% that delay it to age 70. Which is surprising. That's a really small number. It is. That means the other, you know, 52% are, are at full retirement age. Um, so we get questions all the time. What What is the best age to take in? And again, it, it, it depends on the situation. If you have two spouses, maybe one waiting right. until 67 or even 70, will certainly maximize it. Every year you wait, it's another 8% increase. So Yeah, exactly. It's a big increase. And, you know, that's why it's surprising to see that 45% take it so early at age 62 um, you know, if you wait till full retirement age, you get about 30% more. So why not delay it a little bit if you can? Mm-hmm. But the problem is, of course, people are retiring and they need the money. Right. Um, but yeah, if you can delay it, then you're getting a nice, you nice bump up later on in retirement and, um, and it goes up significantly. 
and the survivor of a of a couple, the the one that lives the longest will get the higher of the two numbers. Mm-hmm. So that's another important factor that needs to be factored into which one you delay if you're going to delay one at all. So. But that's a very interesting fact of the week. And that leads us up here to our first topic. Yeah, how to make money. How to make money. Extra we like money. It. Yep. I like it. Yeah, 12 legitimate side hustles. This is from uh, Nerd Wallet. And, um, you know, find the right gig, Steve, whether it's, uh, you know, freelancing online, maybe driving people around. Um, you know, you got to figure out what's going to make sense for you and uh, time-wise, um, what's worth your extra time. But, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. The Internet certainly is full of opportunities um, to make a quick buck online or, or from home, but some of them are questionable and some of right. them are, are scams. So you, you definitely have to be wary of these opportunities. Uh, if somebody asks for an upfront fee, um, you know, I would walk away from it. That yeah. just does not sound legit. No, it's usually a scam if they want money upfront to help you out. Yeah, or if they are asking for social security numbers or you know credit card numbers, um, just walk away from that. There's a lot of other legit things that you can look at. And so we're just going to dive right into it. The first one here is... You know, sell some of those nice clothes that you haven't worn. And um, obviously going to a a local consignment shop is uh, certainly a a way to do that. But there are also a couple other sites that they mentioned. One of them is called ThreadUp, and the Hmm. other one is called Poshmark. So, you know, if you have a lot of clothes, we typically donate ours to to Goodwill. is kind of our process associated with it. But, you know, you you may want to just go through your, your clothing closet, maybe your kids, Great way to make extra cash. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, some of it, you know, with kids' clothes, if you have some really nice kids' clothes, which a lot of parents do because they're given by grandparents and stuff, mm-hmm. and they only wear them a couple of times, you know, nice dresses yeah. for your daughters and things, and then they outgrow them. And so it'd be a shame just to give those to, to Goodwill or mm-hmm. whatever um, yeah. and not let's, you know, not yeah. be able to sell those for what they're really worth. Absolutely. So that's that's a good one. Uh, and we've talked about that before, but um, some of the Internet makes this a little bit easier, which is kind of the difference um, from 10 years ago, if you will. And another one is recycle old, old phones and electronics. Um, maybe you have an iPad or a gaming system that's just lying around. Again, go into the Internet. There's a, a, a site called Swappa. Hmm. S-W-A-P-P-A, and Next Worth that will buy these from you. You can also look at Amazon's trading program. They give you gift cards and, and eBay as well. So it's not just, you know, it's it's they've made it easier to get rid of some of these things and pay you cash. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, great tool. Or you can just have the old-fashioned uh, garage sale, You right? can do that, absolutely. <laughs> old go. school. I like it, yeah. <laughs> also, I mean, if you have skills, you know, the next one here is they use them to freelance. Um so there are websites like Upwork, um, Fiverr is a very popular one, Freelancer. They offer opportunities to do a whole bunch of jobs out there, freelance-type jobs such as writing, programming, designing, marketing, uh, data entry, you know, being a virtual assistant. I mean, we use we use several of these right here in the office. That wasn't Santa Claus that introduced us? That, you know, believe it or not, it wasn't Santa Claus really? back at Christmas. It was but somebody use, off Fiverr. We use Fiverr, right. We use Fiverr. Yep, yep, yep. And, we, you know, and, and, there's, and it's amazing how cheap it is, too. I mean, for 10 bucks, you can get somebody to... You know, design your logo. Mm-hmm. You know, we use we use that for logos and stuff sometimes. Just if we want something just for a client appreciation dinner, we get somebody on Fiverr to do that, and they're brilliant. I mean, yeah. some of them are are wonderful. The one we have coming up in October mm-hmm. is a wonderful logo, and we got somebody on Fiverr to do it. And I think we paid maybe fifteen bucks. That's and awesome. It looks awesome. Yeah, 
great way to make some extra cash. Another one here on the list, number four, is be a tester for websites or maybe even apps. Um, there's a, a website called usertesting.com. Pay your, uh, for your thoughts on how well or maybe not so well how something uh, worked on a website or an app. Um, you'll have to pass a short test to be accepted, and then you'll be paid $10 for each 20-minute test. Um, so that turns out to be 30 bucks an hour, Steve. That's not... It's not too shabby. Absolutely. Um, probably working from your home. So um, usertesting.com is another website. Um, maybe do human intelligence task or, or mechanical um, uh, on mechanical, ter- uh, you know, putting things together in the age of uh, automation. Um, companies are outsourcing some jobs like um, uh, tagging images or transcribing videos or classifying receipts. So Amazon has something called Mechanical Turk. Hmm. Have you ever heard of that? No, I've never heard of that one. Haven't either. So Amazon Mechanical Turk, you can do some things. And again, these are working from home in front of a computer. So um, if you're looking for extra cash, that may be a good way to do it. And, um, you know, Airbnb, I don't know if you've used that very much at all or not, but that's extremely popular. It is. Yeah, this one I'm really impressed by because, I mean, gosh, how easy is this? You know, so if you have a spare bedroom, let's say the kids are out of the house. You have a couple now, right? I have a couple of spare bedrooms. It makes me think about it. You know, I'm like, <clears throat> wow, I mean, and this is talking here. Um, and I have some friends down the street that have done this for kind of a, a spare mother-in-law suite that they have. Mm-hmm that they rent out <clears throat> and it's crazy how much it can make, you know? So if you, if you do that, you can use, um, Airbnb, as you mentioned, for example, um, make it available on, on vacation rental sites. Um, it can provide a, a lucrative side income. The average Airbnb host makes $924 per month. Wow. I mean, that's some real money, you know, according to the data from Ernest, an online lender. So that means that, you know, if you had those spare bedrooms, I mean, the heck with going to work, you know, mm-hmm. you just extra thousand dollars a month. Yeah. That, that yeah. could be, that could bridge the gap right there. And Danielle's used that when she was, um, <clears throat> she's in a, a grad program at the University of Georgia and they had an orientation and she stayed in someone's extra room um, yeah. for like 60 bucks and it was very convenient and very clean and you can look at the rating services to make sure you're getting into a good situation so well i have friends down the street that do that for masters particularly mm-hmm. but they do it anytime and you know we're in an area that's pretty good for that because we do we're here in, with augusta and aiken and some nice areas to visit and uh yeah i mean they rent out their their little mother-in-law suite for like 500 bucks a night yeah that's I mean, awesome. During Masters Week, that's crazy. So Airbnb, that's that's a great idea, and we see a lot of people using that. Another one here is let someone use your car. I mean, if you're in a big city, I'm not sure this would work around here, but you know we do have people listening to us from other areas as well. Um, if you go to a service like uh, it's called Get Around or Turo T U R O, you can lend you can rent your car by the hour or by the day. Um, you know, you can get up to thirty or fifty bucks a day. Of course, you want to make sure your insurance policy is is covering that. So you want to put a call into your insurance provider. Um, but again, it's just another way to to use a, an asset and and create some income as well. Another one is take a survey um, from home. You can go to uh, Swag Bucks or a Global Test Market. Um, you know, it's not going to be a huge payoff, but you know, you can you can go and get some gift cards. Um, they is what they provide to you. So. Again, it's another way that you can work from your home and earn some money as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Another one here is to uh, start an Etsy shop. Now, I've never heard of this, but uh, Mm. if you have a penchant for woodworking, jewelry making, embroidery, or pottery, 
you can sell your goods <clears throat> on Etsy, E-T-S-Y. I, I can promise you Kathy knows about Etsy. Yeah, probably so, because this looks like... It's uh, a neat site. I've seen yeah, it. Yeah, pretty cool thing. I did I did take a look at it before the okay. show here, yeah. and uh, it is pretty neat. So you, <clears throat> it's kind of the go-to site for <clears throat> for artists and, you know, selling goods from home, um, from knickknacks and that kind of stuff. Last year, almost 30 million shoppers spent more than $2.8 on Etsy according to the website. So this is serious. This mm-hmm. isn't, you know, this is a big deal. Yeah. You can take your hobby. I mean, I know you're good at woodworking. You could maybe do that in your spare time, right? When you're not golfing in retirement. Yeah, I don't know. I like golf more. <laughs> Go ahead. <Okay. laughs> Scratch that one. Another one that we talked about earlier, Steve is, is, is driving, uh, Uber, Lyft, um, you know, earn some money for driving passengers. My guess is, Masters Week, I would imagine they would clean up and do extremely well um, in this area. So it's a great way, again, to use your your asset, your vehicle, and um, earn some income. And you can do it on your own schedule. So that's really popular with folks. Yeah, that's a cool one, no doubt. Um, And deliver food. Um, Packages for Amazon, Uber is another one you can do. You know, if you take advantage of this kind of growing delivery trend, you can sign up for a service like Instacart, um, Uber Eats, Postmates, or Amazon Flex. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that is amazing. I've never heard of any of those. Um, obviously, I've heard of Uber, but not not, not the, the Eats, the speed Eats of it. part of it. Yeah, I mean, so you get paid for delivery. And in most cases, you even earn tips. You know, a car isn't always required. You actually can do it in the city. You know, you can use uh, post Postmates, mates, <laughs> lets you use a bike a scooter or your own two feet to make deliveries, <laughs> you know, but a background check is always going to be part of the deal. So you got to have a clean background check. Yeah. And the, the, the 12th one here on the list, Steve is, um, you know, walk someone's dog. I mean, you can babysit house it. Uh, Rover.com is for dogs. Uh, care.com is for babysitting and housesitter.com as well as another website. I'll, I'll tell you that Danielle, when she was up in Columbia, she was looking for some babysitting jobs. She went to care.com and she, connected with a couple up there and she worked for them for like three years as a nanny and it was a great opportunity for her and she made really really good friends so a lot of ways to um, use your time to make some money as well and the last one here is kind of the baker's dozen here is sell your photos if you're good with photographs and you have some really good um, pictures you can actually upload them um, to something a site called fine art america and um, they'll put them on prints and T-shirts and so forth. And, you know, you can get paid for your photography skills. So, yep. again, the Internet just kind of opens up. It's amazing the things that are coming out, the apps that are being created, um, the opportunities to earn, you know, money on the side is significantly increased in the last five years. Yeah, it is amazing. And those are some great ideas. And, you know, folks in retirement, they're coming up short. I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can make money. You know, doing a little side gig, you know, Uber or selling something. And uh, that's a great, great idea. Yeah. And the Airbnb one, I mean, that's just a lot of money. I, I it think that's really is. very cool. Yeah, it's it's amazing. If you have the, the space and you're okay with strangers, you know, being in your house. Or yeah, it, right. If you have a side, um, you know, a side, side apartment or something. Entrance or yes, something, you right. can kind of cordon it off. You, you can put it in a can. wall or something. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. All right. That leads us up here, though, to our question of the week. Yeah, this question came from a a client recently. They have saved very, very well. They have about $2 million in an IRA. Um, But the question was, is, hey, I'm in the 12% tax bracket. I don't have a lot of income or a need for income right now. Should I do some Roth conversions? And so we, we've hmm. talked about this a little bit before. You can make up to almost a hundred, a little bit over a hundred thousand dollars 
and still be in the the twelve percent um, tax right. bracket, right? So and gross income, right. gross income, right? So I think in in that case, paying a tax bill at twelve percent, getting some money into a Roth account, is probably a good a good strategy. And that it, makes a lot of sense. You know, you got to have the cash on the side to be able to pay that tax bill. But yes, if you can pay some of the IRA money, because what's going to happen? At age 70 and a half, the RMD is going to kick in and the IRS is going to make you take money out. And we may be in a much different tax situation at that point. And that's, for their case, about seven years out. So we are going to yeah. do some conversions. Yeah, probably. I mean, if you have $2 million in IRAs, then you're going to have, you know, $71,000 or something coming out at age 70 and a half. So that's no doubt going to kick them into a higher tax bracket. So you're exactly right. That's kind of a no-brainer mm-hmm. in that situation if you have a lot of money in IRAs. You have very little in after-tax or, or Roth IRAs to do some conversions if you can get that money out at 12%. With these new tax rates, that's a pretty good opportunity. Yeah, these are historically low. That's pretty low, 12% really is. So that's a great uh, great question of the week. All right, and that leads up here to our next topic, and that is the six big investor mistakes. Um, this is based on an article out of Daily Finance by John Schmoll. Um, and you know, John, I mean, over the years, I mean, we have seen about every investor mistake that you can imagine, you know, as we've met with people in our business and some of them are obvious, you know, like selling out the bottom of a correction, for instance, um, you know, but, but others are a little bit more subtle. So regardless though, I mean, we've learned a lot about people through this process of sitting down with folks and hearing their goals and their concerns and their ambitions over the years. And we've seen a lot of different strategies and different ways of thinking about your investments. And unfortunately, though, we've also seen a lot of the costly mistakes that add up significantly when they play out repeatedly over time. Um, And some of these mistakes are the result of simply not knowing the right things to do. However, many of them are the results of not making sure that you or someone is actively paying attention to your investments or having a sound strategy. So here are some of the most costly mistakes that we see individuals make and some of the ways you can avoid them. Yeah, and the first one on the list, Steve, is is being an emotional investor. I mean, we often hear about the perils of being an emotional investor. And while it may make some sense to follow the herd when you're investing in stocks, it'll generally come back and, and harm you in the long run. And, you know, there's really no more powerful motivator for making snap decisions than than fear. In fact, research has proven that it's much more powerful than the desire for gain. So, you know, the desire to make money certainly will uh, lead people to take action eventually, but fear can lead to a snap decision that can often be disastrous. And we see this time and time and time again. I mean, the education piece of what we try to do is, is very, very important. That's right. And this one is kind of subtle too, John, because, I mean, we see this with people and it's not obvious. It's not the obvious, you know, getting scared out the bottom kind of move. A lot of times it's just the emotion of not letting go of a stock or something like that. You know, I mean, they have a stock they've held their company stock or something and they're emotionally attached to it. And they think, Oh, I'm just looking for a high point to get out. You know, I'm, I'm wanting, wanting to diversify it, but then yet they hang on to it for months and months and years and years. And, you know, and then they can't sell it because it's off of its new high. In fact, I mean, I have a client that's in this situation now. He has a big holding in in an individual stock. And you know what? It's off of its high. So he emotionally can't let go of it mm-hmm. at this price. 
but he probably should because, you know, it's a big chunk of money. It's a lar- very large chunk of money, and he's been hanging on to it now for years and years, and, and it's been a year and a half we've been talking about selling the stock. So it's an emotional decision, and it's it's more it's not as obvious as people think. So here are the, some of the signs of being an emotional investor. You know, holding on to a stock, thinking that it's going to come back at some point, or wanting to sell out of your portfolio at the first sign of a significant drop. Also being glued to the financial news cycle on a daily basis, <laughs> which we have a lot of people that do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but emotions, they can cost you when it comes to money. You know, many investors who held out of the market for the past five years or so, they lost significantly. The market's done great recently. Um, but more often than not, you know, they hold out due to fear. They're fearful that the big drop is coming and it's right around the corner. Um, but the solution is stay the course, be rational, be patient, be focused on your long-term goals. Don't try to time the market. Don't don't worry about trying to guess what the future is going to be. And you'll be much more likely to be better off over the long term if you take that kind of approach. Yeah, and I think if you have a plan that's going to help you know, with that emotions and the, the plans that we do, we have negative years built in. So when a negative year happens... It doesn't change the plan all that much, right? You've got to monitor and make sure that you're on course. But um, having a plan is another piece of that. It really is. It really is. That's good. The next one here on the list is not investing early enough. You know, almost all of us have been guilty of not getting serious about investing. You know, whenever we first graduated college, maybe. Um, Many people think that they either can't afford to invest at that point or they have too little to invest for it to mean anything or that they can postpone investing and they can catch up later when they have more disposable income. You know, whatever the excuse is, the result is a lost opportunity to grow your money over a very long period of time. Yeah, so the solution is is start early. If you can start in your 20s, um, if you're listening today and you're not in your 20s, uh, pull a kid aside or a grand grandchild and help them to start investing. I know we started with our kids very, very young with custodial accounts. And again, they were probably eight or nine years old, so they had no idea. Yep. But when they got to be 18, 19, 20, it allowed us to have a conversation with them about it. So the solution is to start early, look at your kids, talk to your grandkids as well, and try to make a difference in their lives. Absolutely. Yeah, we start our kids with Roth IRAs as soon as they started working. Right. Had right. them put some of the money in Roth IRAs. And, you know, so maybe at age 16, 17 years old or 18. And, uh, you know, that makes a big difference because now they're, you know, in their lower or mid-20s. And that money's grown pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. And they already had the account open. It's over five years old now. So they could take original contributions out if they need to. So, uh, you know, starting early is a big a big deal and makes a big benefit. Um, Next one here is not paying attention to fees. John, you know, one of the frustrating mistakes that we see people make is not paying attention to the expenses and their investments. You know, when you overlook these, um, they can add up to a significant drain on your portfolio. And two of the most common are from trading too often, um, you know, yourself or inside the funds themselves, the, when, the way they're invested inside the funds. Trading too often can be very hard to counteract, especially if you consider yourself to be an active trader. But keep in mind, there are lots of costs like commissions, spreads, sometimes markups that are inside the funds that you use as well. <clears throat> so you got to look inside the vehicles you're using. If you're investing in maybe an annuity, you know, then there's a whole nother layer of insurance expenses inside 
the, the that portfolio that you have. Um, and those expenses can really add up. So one of the big fees that people don't pay attention to is mutual fund expense ratios. Um, according to a paper uh, out of the University of Pennsylvania, uh, the average mutual fund fee as of 2013 was around 1.3%. But it can vary anywhere from a half percent or a quarter percent all the way up to 2%. You know, I mean, there's there's a wide range of what mutual fund expense ratios can be. So you need to pay attention to that. If you're investing in a mutual fund that alone will cost you, maybe it could be 1500 to $10,000 over the 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, of having, you know, $100,000 in there. Um, internal trading cost also can be, can be even much more than that. So you need to pay attention to the internal cost. Um, so you really need to take a look at the whole picture, try to understand your investments and the expenses associated with them. Yeah. So, uh, the fourth one here, Steve, the, uh, the big, um, investor mistakes is improperly diversifying. I mean, really diversification when it's done right really is the hallmark of wise investing. And we see a lot of retail investors that come to us, they may have 12 mutual funds and we look underneath the hood and, you know, nine of those are owning the same stocks. So they're very right. concentrated in a pool of stocks. That's not real good diversification. You've got to have the small stocks and the international stocks and make sure it's it's diversified. Otherwise, you can get yourself into trouble. That's right. Yeah, and other problems arise whenever you pick a, a number of stocks to invest in and you believe that that makes you diversified. You know, it's unfortunately not the case. You know, as many times as it was you pick stocks they'll fall in the same industries uh typically so those decisions they leave you less than prepared to weather the market downturn and they put you at increased risk for losses so the solution is review each fund's top holdings avoid duplication and consider index funds or asset class funds which own an entire asset class that way you'll have a portfolio represents hundreds even thousands of stocks and dozens of industries instead of just a handful of individual stocks. And the next one here on the list, John, is abandoning accounts and letting them drift. You know, um, that's likely one of the costliest mistakes that we see. Simply ignoring your investment accounts for years or even decades. Um, they can be sitting there in fixed income and mm-hmm. you don't know it, so you miss out on a lot of gains in the markets. Um, you know, they're not rebalanced to so stay in line with your current risk tolerance. Um, the accounts could get eaten up by fees. So <clears throat> there are lots of things that can happen there. So the solution is you need to schedule times to check all your investment accounts. Like we mentioned, you know, once a year, updating an asset inventory mm-hmm. list. You can look at the accounts, all your accounts, maybe at that time at the end of the year. Um, doesn't have to be that often, but you need to look at it maybe quarterly, six months or annually to, to check on your investments and just make sure they're not forgotten about and they have the right address and you're receiving, receiving the statements and all those kind of things with, uh, with your investments. Yeah. And the sixth mistake, Steve, that we see is ignoring taxes. And this is such a, a big item. Um, you know, there are taxable consequences to dividends or, or gains made through the, you know, the sale of investments and the IRS is going to come and collect its shares. So, you know, there's, um, there's a, a ways to to get around the tax bill, maybe gifting and some other strategies. You got to make sure that you understand the tax impl- implications of your investments. Yeah, that's right. And as we mentioned, now that tax rates have been decreased, um, you know, there are new opportunities to take advantage of that lower 12% tax bracket by converting IRAs or maybe realizing some gains at no uh, with no taxes if you're in that bracket. Um, so the solution is do pay attention to taxes. Take advantage of the tax savings available with the lower brackets and vehicles like Roths, 
or deductible IRAs. If you're getting dividends or trading, you know, do that inside of a retirement account um, to shelter yourself as much as possible. And that also means knowing what's not not to hold on to in an IRA, like tax-free investments, like municipal bonds um, or an annuity. Um, and also, you know, a tax-managed portfolio can be a very powerful tool for deferring gains um, inside of a taxable account. So be be cognizant of the tax situation inside of your investments and, you know, look for opportunities there. So, all right, that leads us up here to our prescription of the week. Yes, that has to do with the tax refund. It's certainly tax season. Um, looking back at 2017, Steve, the average tax refund was about $3,000. And so our prescription of the week is to, to maybe break that into two buckets. Um, have a fun bucket. It's okay to go spend some of that, um, you know, maybe 25% of the total, maybe a max of, of, of a third, but use most of it to pay off debt, maybe save in an emergency fund. Maybe you want to fund your Roth IRA, um, but then carve out a little bit. Maybe you want to do a weekend trip to the beach or you need some new, you know, new clothes or whatever. So break it up into two buckets. Try not to spend everything on fun. Uh, use some of it to meet some of your financial goals. Yeah, make sure it's just not frittered away. You know, just be careful with the money you get for a refund. Um, that's money you probably should have invested along the way and not had had a big refund at the end. But mm-hmm. when you do get it, be very careful and make sure you're paying off debt and adding to your mutual, your emergency fund, like you mentioned, um, along with maybe having a little bit of fun as well. So good prescription of the week. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to MoneyMD to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net, and email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 